Thank you, Ian. We need God's help, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd bring us understanding and transformation to put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was in year five, our teacher arranged us into debating teams. This was an opportunity for us to practice uh, putting strong and persuasive argumentation together. And so there I was in my team of four. We were given the topic, why the internet is good for us. I was on the affirmative team. I was second speaker. And there we were. Now, the first and the third and the fourth speaker wanted to plan beforehand what they were going to say. What a novel idea. And the first and the third speaker wanted to write down their speeches beforehand. What a novel idea. Well, there I was going, I know how this will go. I know I'll be okay. I'm better than these people. Well, because of that... I sat out of discussion. I did not write anything beforehand. Come time for the debate. It's my turn to stand up. First speaker, first speaker, second speaker, me. I I get up and I freeze. I couldn't have thought of anything. I, 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 I didn't say anything. I couldn't think of anything because all I was thinking was, James, you were out of your mind. Why didn't you write something down beforehand? Why didn't you prepare? You must have been out of your mind. And after what must have been an eternity of silence, I remember standing there and I mustered these words. I said, "Uh, the internet is good for us because you can download Pokemon Gold and Silver for free and play it without paying any money. (laughs) Yes, I was using Visual Boy Advance and I had those ROMs. Suffice it to say, I let my team down, we lost the debate. I had also revealed that at the sweet, tender age of 10, I was already steeped in the world of media piracy. (laughs) Suffice it to say, it didn't go well. Now, why was that? Well, the reason was I was overly confident in my speaking abilities. And not only that, but I had a misplaced sense of my superiority compared to others. In other words, I was arrogant. Now, I laugh at myself in year five. It was good for me to eat a bit of humble pie. Uh, But arrogance is rife in our world today. Uh, an inflated sense of thinking or saying, I know how this will go. I'm going to be okay. I'm better than these others. And Christians can find ourselves thinking or saying these things too. Uh, Looking at others who don't profess Jesus as Lord. Looking at communities and authorities who don't acknowledge Jesus as King and thinking that we are better, superior. Well, this afternoon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you why being an arrogant Christian is a contradiction in terms. I'm not saying that you can't be an arrogant Christian. God knows that a lot of us are at one time or another. Rather, arrogance and Christianity aren't meant to neatly fit together. And if you are a Christian who is arrogant, that is more of a defect in your Christian living than a feature of God's will for our lives. So, why is an arrogant Christian a contradiction in terms? Let's find out what the Apostle Paul's answer is to this question in today's passage. And we're continuing on in our series in Romans 9 to 11. Uh, What we've been doing is over the last few weeks, we've been working through this section in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in Rome in the 50s AD. And we're deep in the midst of this section where Paul is writing about how the Jewish people of Israel had stumbled, how they had taken the, the God 
given God-appointed king Jesus and said, we don't want him. How they have rejected him, the promised king, the Messiah, which resulted in Jesus' death and resurrection. And yet, what we've seen is that this whole series of circumstances was the plan of the one true living God. Jesus' rejection by the Jews led to God's promises being fulfilled. And so let's get into the passage then. Come with me to point one. Point one, Paul acts to save the stumbled. And we're here looking at verses 11 to 15. If you're new to reading Bible passages, the big numbers are what we call chapter numbers, and the smaller numbers in the top left are what we call verse numbers. So pick it up with me from verse 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. It's worth noting that the they pronouns in this passage are specifically referring to the Jewish people of Israel. And so Paul asks this question, did the Jews stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? This question's come up over the last few weeks in the book of Romans, as we've been in this part, because the Jews stumbled. They didn't believe in Jesus. They were hardened in their unbelief. Uh, More pointedly, we've seen that God hardened them in their unbelief, but also that the stumbling itself was ruled sovereignly by the hand of God. So again, did the Jews stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And here's Paul's answer. Not at all. Not at all. What Paul is setting up here is that the stumbled Jews, the unbelieving Jews, the hardened Jews, still have hope. They are not beyond recovery. In fact, they are not beyond coming back to God. And what we see from the rest of this verse, verse 11, is that this transgression, the sin of the Jewish people rejecting Jesus, actually had a purpose behind it. It opened up this salvation to the rest of the non-Jewish world, the Gentiles. Yes, God's plan was always for the nations to be blessed, but his promises were first to the Jews. Jesus was a Jewish man who came to the Jewish people of Israel, but then the Jews rejected Jesus, the fulfillment of these promises. And so God has opened them up to the wider world. And even then, For what purpose? Well, verse 11 says, to make Israel envious. To make Israel envious. You see, there's a bit of a back and forth thing going on here, isn't there? The Jews reject Jesus. Salvation comes to the Gentiles. The Gentiles accept faith. The Jews are made envious. You see, in God's plan, God wants the Jewish people to see the riches, the riches of relationship with God and forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and to say, that's ours. We want that. Those promises were for us. We want them for ourselves. We want to grasp them. We want what is rightfully ours. This is righteous envy. You know, just how there's righteous anger and unrighteous anger, there is righteous envy and unrighteous envy. Think about it for a second. Uh, unrighteous envy is, is looking at, say, your friend or a family member who is, something's going well for them. 
Maybe they've achieved something. Maybe they've gotten something. And instead of you being happy for them, your first thought is, why not me? Why don't I have that? What makes them better than me? It's seeing something that someone else has and saying, you know what, I want that for myself and I'm upset at them for them having it. Or, or maybe wanting your neighbor's house or wanting your neighbor's spouse. That's unrighteous envy. But there's righteous envy as well. Wanting what is rightfully yours or something that is owed to you, something that it's good for you to want. For example, the love of a spouse. Or for God being jealous for his people's love. This is righteous envy. And here, Paul is saying that there is hope for the Jews of Israel because their stumbling is not final. There is hope for recovery. In fact, as verse 12 says, their full inclusion is coming. Something remarkable is coming. As we see in verse 15, yes, the rejection of the Jews brought reconciliation to the world, but their acceptance is going to be a rising from the dead. It's going to be glorious. And now, on this point, we're going to hear more about this next week. You're going to hear more about this in next week's passage, so make sure you come back as we hear about the full inclusion and acceptance of all of Israel. But for now, hear what Paul says about his own work, about his own ministry, in verses 13 and 14. Because with this hope in mind, that the hardening, the stumbling, the falling, it's not final, it isn't beyond recovery. Here's, hear what Paul says in verses 13 and 14. I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. The you pronouns in this passage are referring to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people in Rome. Paul, a Jewish man, was commissioned as an apostle, which means a sent representative. Paul was a sent representative of God to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, and he loves his ministry. And as he ministers, he does so in the hope that his own people, the Jews, would be aroused to envy the salvation that is now given to the world, that they would want to grasp hold of it for themselves. In other words, Paul acts to save the stumbled. You know, I'm a tennis fan, not the playing part, the watching part. Uh, in, the, in 2005, the Miami Masters, um, the, the Open Finals, there was a match between Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. It was the, I think it was their first finals that they had played together. Nadal was in top form, and he won the first two sets, 6-2 and 7-6. It would have been easy to think Federer had no chance. Oh, what's the point in watching anymore? Just switch it off. We know who's going to win. He's up two sets. But the Fed being the Fed, he kept working at it. He was not down and out. And he made an epic comeback, eventually taking the next three sets to win the Masters entirely. For the Gentile Christians in Rome, it could have been so easy for them to hear Paul's words about God's people, to hear Paul's words about God's electing grace, to hear Paul's words about God's predestining sovereign mercy, how he chooses whom he will save, and to think, I know how this will go. I know I'm going to be okay. I know I'm better than these others. These Jewish people, they're done. 
they're down and out. But to this way of thinking, we have an emphatic wake-up call because the stumbled Jews still have hope. They can still be saved. Their story isn't over yet. They're not down and out. To the arrogant who would think that they know how this will go, they've rejected Jesus, they're done for, Paul's actions are a challenge. He acts to save the stumbled, and he acts in hope. That's point one. But Paul continues his argument here because he's not done speaking to the Gentile Christians in Rome. He's got some more humble pie to serve. So come with me to point two. Point two, God acts to A, graft in the Gentiles. And we're focusing on verses 16 to 21 here. And here we get some divine baking and horticulture. Because verse 16 is a hinge that brings us into this next part of the passage. He's rounding out what we saw last week And he's bringing us into the concern of this week. You see, last week, in chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, Paul had made clear that he was an Israelite and he was a Christian, and so God hadn't entirely rejected the Jews. He and other Jews are like the first fruits of a harvest, the the first collection of what's to come. If you take a lump of dough and you take a part of it out, if that lump is good, if that part is good, then the whole lump of dough is good as well. That's his point here. Paul and the other Jewish Christians, as the first fruits of Jewish salvation, are holy. They're set apart for God. And so the whole batch is going to be holy one day. The whole batch is good. See, Paul and the other Jewish Christians are a first fruits, a first collection of what's to come. And the whole batch will be holy. But then we see the second image in verse 16, and it's that of a tree. And in this image, the root, this root, what does it stand for? Roots in the soil. Well, this root is the foundation of the people of God. And a few weeks ago, when we were in Romans chapter 9, verse 4, what we saw is that the foundation of the people of God is the covenants. It's the law. It's the patriarchs, the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's, it's the story of Israel. It's, it's what's recorded for us in the Old Testament. This root, this foundation is holy, set apart by God and for God. And if that's so, then the branches of the tree that come from this root will be holy as well, set apart by God and for God. So you really want to be a branch in this tree, this olive tree. Well, here then we come to verses 17 and 18. Paul writes, If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Remember that the pronoun you is referring to Gentile Christians. And Paul's point is clear, isn't it? Some branches have been broken off, referring to the ethnic Jews who no longer believe, who do not believe, Jews who stumbled in their faith and were rejected because they rejected Jesus. But some wild olive branches from a different tree, not naturally part of the main olive tree, have been grafted in. That's the Gentile Christians. Now, maybe it's a tea-cut graft or a cleft graft, and yes, that's the extent of my grafting knowledge, because that's all I remember from year nine agriculture. 
But the point is that these wild olive branches from another tree have been unnaturally added in. Now notice this. Notice how God's people here and now aren't a replacement for Israel. God doesn't take the old olive plant and go, see you later. He doesn't dispose of it. No, rather the branches that are cut off and the branches that are grafted in have the same root. The same original root. Gentile Christians are guests invited into the family. And when you're a guest, you can't think of yourself as better than the members of the household. If you are a Gentile Christian like me, you are invited into the family of God purely by grace. And so, how can we look down on any unbelieving Jews? How can we look down on ethnic Jews who have stumbled? Our hearts should long and yearn for their recovery, trusting in God's sovereign mercy and treasuring the root that we share together, found in the Old Testament scriptures and fulfilled in our Lord Jesus. Gentiles have been grafted into this olive tree, God's olive tree, and are part of God's people now. And so Paul says not to consider themselves superior to the other branches because, point 2b, God acts to prune the prideful. God acts to prune the prideful, and we're looking at verses 19 to 22 here. Because you see, in verse 19, Paul anticipates a response that some of the Gentiles might have. Well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in, right? But then in verse 20, Paul responds to that squeaky voice. Yes, sure, Gentile Christians were grafted in. But it wasn't because you look good. It wasn't because you're smart. It's not because you're witty. It's not because you're more righteous or good. You are purely here by faith. By trusting in Jesus, by accepting his righteousness, not your own. And so he says this, don't be arrogant, but tremble. Uh, Don't tremble because you're scared that God will judge you if you're already a Christian. I mean, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. But tremble out of reverential respect, recognizing that it is only through Jesus that you are saved. It is only through Jesus that you can stand. It is only through Jesus that you can be rescued from the practice and the pain and the penalty of sin. Because, verse 21, if God didn't spare the natural branches because of their unbelief, then he will not spare you either. You know, to be arrogant is to feel superior, to be prideful. And when we feel superior, we don't feel like we need to ask for help. In fact, we hate it if someone offers help. Can I give you some feedback? No. When you feel superior, you don't feel like you need help. And as a result, arrogance, pride, it's allergic to trust in something or someone else because that requires help. In other words, pride is allergic to faith in Jesus. It's because we don't realize how utterly dependent on God we are that we don't pray more because we don't think we need God's help. It's because we don't recognize how much more we need God's help and his sustaining grace that we neglect coming to God's word. It's because we can think we can go at it, just me and my Bible, 
at home, homeboys with Jesus. I don't need God's people. I don't need to be encouraged. I don't need to encourage others that we can neglect coming to church or growth group, feeling like as long as I've got me and my Bible, I'm all good. When the truth is that God has given us each other to persevere in the Christian life. Pride is a barrier to our faith in Jesus. We do need God's help to keep trusting in Jesus, to keep clinging to him. Because taken to the ultimate place, pride leads to unbelief. Thinking that we do not need Jesus. Even for those who have professed faith at one time in Jesus. Which is why Paul's comfort and warning in verse 22 is so important to hear. Verse 22, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Now, some of us might be hearing this and thinking, wait a second, James, don't true Christians stay Christians? Haven't I heard that line before, once saved, always saved? Well, we need to be careful of slogans because they can betray and distort a true biblical reality. Because Jesus' parable of the four soils tells us that the mere profession of faith is just the start. Because you see, some will profess faith in Jesus, but after a, a time will fall away when things get hard. Or some will profess faith in Jesus, but then money, the worries of life, worrying about other things, will make them unfruitful. But some profess faith and continue growing. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. You see, Romans 11.22 fits perfectly with the rest of the Bible. Because the chosen of God, the elect of God, aren't just those who express faith in Christ. They are those who persist with faith in Christ. And are found faithful at the end. Because if you grow arrogant, prideful, feeling like you don't need to continue in the kindness of God, then you will be cut off for your unbelief. Saving faith is faith that continues in the kindness of God. Brothers and sisters, God will prune the prideful, those who in their pride let go of Jesus. God will let go of as well. But as strong as this warning is, it's not the end of the story. Because Paul is going to round out this section by going back to the question he started with in verse 11. Have Israel stumbled so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Because, point 2c, God acts to regraft the returners. And we're focusing on verses 22 to 24. You see, in God's kindness, even though branches will be cut off from the olive tree due to unbelief, even though those who don't continue in God's kindness will stumble, even may be hardened, as we've seen with Israel, verse 23, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Can you hear this wonderful word from Paul? That even though the Jews stumbled, even though they were hardened in their unbelief, there is still hope. For not all of them will persist in unbelief. 
For those who return, God is able to graft them back into that olive tree. Because even those who are elect by God can stumble and fall, but will return with a genuine saving faith. In fact, I know personally that that is the story of a number of us here at Afternoon Church. A faith that was professed, but stumbled, maybe walked away for a few years, but in God's kindness, he welcomed you back. And you've returned with a genuine saving faith, a faith that will continue to the end. This is the story of the Jews so far, but their story isn't over yet. And indeed, Paul and the other Jewish Christians are the first fruits, a batch of dough, a first fruits, because there is more to come. More will be aroused to envy, more will be saved, even though they were once part of the tree, even though they were broken off due to unbelief. God can still act to regraft the returners. You can even see it in the diagram, by the way, this picture. You notice how in this picture we've had in the banner for the whole series, we've had this branch that isn't the same color as the rest because it's been regrafted in. As Paul says in verse 24, remember the yous are referring to the Gentiles. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? But what are we to do then? Well, let me finish with three points here. Point three, so, firstly, be humble. What have we seen this afternoon? We've seen that there is no place for arrogance in the Christian life. In the kindness of God, there is hope. There is still hope. And those who do not persist in unbelief can be saved. None of us can say about those who aren't Christians, I know how this will go. In the sternness of God, the prideful should be wary. We only stand by faith. None of us can say in prideful arrogance, I know I'll be okay. I'm better than the rest of these. To be an arrogant Christian is to be a contradiction in terms. All Christians should see that no one gets special privilege. All who are to remain in this tree do so by faith. They stand on the basis of faith by trusting in Jesus. How can we be anything other than humble? How can we look upon anyone? Jew or Gentile, Christian or not, and say, I'm better than you. I made the right choice. I was born into the right family. I had the right school. I'm smarter. I've worked it out. I did the research. You're the one who's lesser than me. How can we do that? From start to finish, we need to remember that salvation is pure grace. Pure grace, as we saw last week in verse 6. Pure grace from start to finish. So be humble. And if you are here today and you have been hurt by the arrogance of Christians, then let me say that this is a defect in Christian living rather than a feature of God's will for our lives. But let me also say this today. The offer of pure grace is held out to you today. Don't persist in prideful unbelief. God calls you into faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Will you give up your unbelief and be humble? Will you come to Jesus in faith? 
Because hear this and consider the sternness of God. For if you do not get grafted into this tree, then you will be burned on the day of judgment. Because all who persist in unbelief will be burnt in the justice of God for our arrogance. Be humble and come to Jesus. This call doesn't come from arrogant notions of superiority, but a trembling desire for you to embrace the kindness of God. Secondly, hang in there. Some of us might be feeling the creeping chill of hardness towards God, feeling like our hearts maybe are being slowly frozen towards the Lord Jesus. But from today's passage, I want to encourage you to continue in the kindness of God, in humility. Don't try and go it alone. Seek God through prayer. Seek the lamp to your feet through God's word. Seek brothers and sisters, for this is how we stand, by faith not through our own competency, not through our own maturity, not through our own knowledge, not through our own ability to work things out as if we've got it all together. We're all struggling and we stand by faith because none of us are superior. We are all utterly dependent on God's grace. So stand not in your own strength, but by faith. And there is help available if you need it, from pastoral support from those here at church to professional help if you need it where necessary. Hang in there. Thirdly and finally, hope. Hope. Hope for the salvation of the broken branches, those who have stumbled from faith and are currently unbelieving. There are many here who know all too well friends, fellow youth group leaders or children's ministry leaders, people we grew up with in our own households, brothers, sisters, cousins, who no longer stand by faith, even though they once professed faith. In humility, recognize this, that their story is not over yet. They are not down and out. There is still hope for them. Have they stumbled so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Because in the kindness of God, he will save his people. So look to the kindness of God and hope that they would be aroused to envy and to want the salvation that is in Jesus for themselves. Hope that they would return and know that they will be regrafted in. We can't say in arrogance, I know how this will go. They're gone. They would never come back to Jesus. They're finished. We can't say that. Brothers and sisters, while they still live, there is still hope. Because in the kindness of God, he has promised in his sovereign mercy to save his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great kindness. And we ask that you would help us to not be arrogant, to not feel superior, but to consider your kindness and your sternness rightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.